You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. The Witch Elm stands on the top of a hill within the grounds of a vast estate. Its fat, gnarled trunk has a large eye, which watches over the land that sprawls beneath it, while three twisting limbs protrude towards the sky, covered in long, thin spikes of branches. Its grey bark is the colour of wet clay, and there isn't a leaf or bud on it. It is perpetually shrouded in a kind of mist that stops your eyes from ever seeing it clearly. It is always hazy, always in soft focus. When the sun catches it, the knotted trunk looks illuminated from inside with some otherworldly glow. Even the crows daren't rest on its branches. There were no trees like it where Anna came from. She couldn't remember if there were any trees there at all. She had been evacuated just as dawn broke on a drizzly September morning, loaded onto a train with a small bag and a gas mask, with hundreds, if not thousands, of others, all together, but overwhelmingly alone. As an only child, and considerably older than most of the others, Anna spent the journey staring out of the window in a daze, trying to block out the cries and sobs of the younger children. She had been waiting expectantly for the city grey to be replaced by vibrant green as they travelled into the countryside, but the sky remained insipid and cloaked whatever scenery there was in a mizzle. On arrival at their destination, which none of them had ever heard of, the hordes of children were ushered out onto the platform, the fine rain soaking most of them to the skin. After being marched to the village hall and paraded in front of the locals like cattle, Anna was selected by a miserable-looking woman called Mrs Arnold, who had a face like a potato. Her husband and two sons had been enlisted, so she had a room for the girl to stay in. The house was homely enough. A log fire burned in the kitchen, which warmed the flagstone floor. Anna had done as Mrs Arnold had instructed, peeling off her wet clothes and draping them over the fireguard to dry. She watched the steam rise from her stockings as she stood, naked but for a blanket, while her host went to fetch her some clothes. At 13 years old, Anna was tall for her age, but thin as a cane. Her body had no trace of the soft curves the other girls of her age had started to develop. She was all angles and protruding bones. The clothes belonging to Mrs Arnold's youngest son fitted her surprisingly well, and Anna luxuriated in the warm wool trousers, cotton shirt and suspenders, the quality a world away from the thin dress and rough stockings and threadbare cardigan she had arrived in. She had even allowed Mrs Arnold to drag a comb through her unruly hair and braid it into a thick plait, while she sat at the kitchen table, greedily slurping a bowl of beef stew that her host had prepared in advance of her arrival. She cleaned the bowl with a hunk of dense, homemade bread and wondered if this was what it was to feel full. Seeing as it was her first day at Mrs Arnold's and there was more work to be done at the local dairy farm before the day was through, Anna was permitted to go for a walk and explore her new surroundings. The small village was encircled by farmland, 
a mostly flat patchwork of cow pastures, overlooked by a looming hill, with the witch elm at the top. Anna could not tear her eyes from the tree. It transfixed her. The pastures, the cows, everything around her seemed to slip into darkness the longer she looked at it, as though she were in a tunnel with only the tree at the end. She could hear distant whispers, but couldn't make out the words. They were just fragments, until she heard a woman's voice calling her name. It was Mrs Arnold, bellowing from behind her. She turned around to see the woman almost purple in the face from shouting and flailing her arms. Then Anna felt a sharp, stinging sensation around both of her ankles. She looked down in confusion and realised she was standing shin-deep in stinging nettles. Mrs Arnold waded through them in her Wellington boots and dragged Anna back to the farm. Itchy, red welts had already started to appear on her legs. Her head felt foggy. She could hear Mrs Arnold firing questions at her, but she could not find the words to reply. The further away she got from where she was, the fog started to lift. She realised that the other women on the dairy farm were staring at her with strange looks in their eyes. What was wrong with her? they asked. Does she have a fever? She looked as though she was in a trance. Mrs Arnold's face flushed with embarrassment, and Anna was instructed to return home and stay there for the rest of the day. It wasn't long before news of Anna's mishap had permeated the village. The locals viewed her with contempt, stupid city girl that she was. Even the other evacuee children stuck with their host families and avoided Anna as though she was infectious. Because of this, Mrs Arnold had decided that Anna was a troublesome girl and ought to have something to occupy her in order to keep her out of such mischief. She gave her a small, weathered-looking notebook from the kitchen dresser, containing drawings and annotations of plants, berries, nuts and the like. Anna was to study the book and learn which plants to pick and which ones to avoid. That way, if she was going to insist on wandering off in her own daydreams, she could at least make herself useful and forage some ingredients while she was at it. Anna studied the book, learning how to identify the edible plants like wild garlic, sorrel and yarrow, and how to distinguish which mushrooms would kill you and which ones wouldn't. In the absence of a social group, she ventured out alone, sticking mostly to the hedgerows that lined the farmland to pick blackberries and rosehips, but Anna still could not tear her eyes from that tree. She resisted it for days, weeks even, but it called to her, just as it had done before. So on one particularly stagnant day in October, she decided to heed its call. The sky was hung with storm clouds that looked as though they were ready to burst at any moment. The humidity in the air made Anna's hair frizzy and irritating. Sweat stuck the flyaway strands to her face as she climbed the hill towards the tree. The higher she climbed, her vision became fogged and blurry, vignetted with darkness, just as it had been the first time. She felt dazed, desperate to sit down and rest for a moment, but her legs continued their relentless trudge up the hill, almost against her will. When she reached the tree, Anna was nauseated and dizzy. Her head felt like it was stuffed with cotton wool. She leaned against the tree to steady herself and quickly realised that the trunk was hollow. Its eye was actually a hole. Before Anna's brain could catch up with her, she was clambering up the tree to thrust her arm into the hole. She fished around inside as though looking for something, 
but she did not know what until her fingertips grazed something hard, smooth and cold. She tried to grab it and pull it out. Then, in an instant, everything around her went black. It was damp and bitterly cold. She felt like she had fallen down a well. She tried to move, but she couldn't. Her limbs were tangled and wedged against the sides, and she was convinced she had broken her arm as her left hand was numb. She started to shiver, gently at first, building to a violent shaking that rattled her bones. Then she was blinded by a cold, bright light. She could feel hands on her shoulders. Someone was shaking her. Someone else was shouting. Then she realised that the blinding light was actually the sky above her, and the shivering was a man in a military uniform shaking her shoulders to wake her up. He looked at her with deep concern and asked her what happened, but she didn't know. The soldier surmised that she must have climbed the tree and fallen out, knocking herself unconscious when she hit the ground. He gave her a cursory check over, and, realising that she wasn't hurt, or worse, a spy, he scolded her brutally for trespassing on private land, and told her she was lucky that she hadn't been shot. He offered his hand to help pull her up from the ground, but they both hesitated when Anna stretched out hers. The tips of her fingers were black. The soldier questioned her, and that dark, horrifying vision flashed through her mind. She quickly replied that she must have landed on it when she fell from the tree, and probably cut off the blood supply for a while. He went to take her hand for a closer look, but she pulled it back, tucking it into her cardigan out of view, insisting it was fine. Anna was visibly shaky, and wobbled on her feet as she stood. The soldier called to his comrade, and they both took an arm to escort her home. She protested that she didn't need their help, but neither man took any notice of her. They marched her back to Mrs Arnold's door. The soldiers told Mrs Arnold exactly what had happened. The troop had all heard a loud cry, and thinking that a spy had parachuted into their base and miscalculated the landing, the two of them had set off with their guns, only to find Anna unconscious, stiff as a board, lying at the foot of the elm tree. They told Anna in no uncertain terms to stay off of the estate, lest she end up with a bullet in her head. Mrs Arnold was furious. She shouted at Anna for disobeying her, but Anna could see in her eyes that she was resigned to the fact that she just didn't know how to navigate this new rural life of hers. She didn't know the unwritten rules of country life, and even if she did, she didn't understand them. She wandered off wherever she pleased without thinking about whose land she was on, or whether they wanted her on it. But at least, Mrs Arnold said, this latest misadventure had ended without an injury. She hadn't seen Anna's hand. Despite her best efforts to hide it, it didn't take long before Mrs Arnold saw. The blackness that had started at just her fingertips had spread up into her hand. Her thin fingers were withering so that they resembled charred twigs. Mrs Arnold interrogated Anna about how it had happened, but she kept repeating that she didn't know. Horrified at her condition, and without a doctor around, Mrs Arnold sent for her neighbour's help. One by one, the gathered women examined Anna's hand with revulsion. They asked her again what had happened, but Anna still didn't know how to answer. She couldn't remember anything before her fall. "'It's that damned tree!' Mrs Arnold roared, thumping her fist on the kitchen table, sending the teacups and saucers clattering. The women all knew which one she meant. There had long been a suspicion in the village that the witch elm was cursed, 
Now they had their proof. Mrs. Arnold rallied her troops. She sent the women back to their homes to collect whatever tools they could find. Axes, sickles, scythes, anything they could lay their hands on. The older women brought blankets and lanterns with flickering white candles inside to ward off the descending twilight. They had already assembled at the foot of the hill when Anna arrived with Mrs. Arnold. She felt weaker and weaker with every step they took towards the tree. By the time they had reached the summit, Anna had all but collapsed. Her thoughts were clouded and her body felt limp. A burning pain crept up her arm as Mrs. Arnold took hold of her hand and placed it against the bark of the witch elm. Anna yelped and whimpered, then pulled it away. The blackness on her hand now reached all the way to the wrist. Mrs. Arnold thrust Anna backwards and nodded to the women. They hacked at the tree, splintering it with their axes, tearing off huge hunks of bark until they found a rotting body inside the hollow trunk. It was clear from the decomposition that it had been there for what must have been years. The skin had decayed, leaving only a small tuft of hair on its head. The skeleton was intact, all but for its left hand. The women shrank back as they saw it, dropping their axes to the floor and pulling their shawls and coats around them as though the fabric would somehow form a protective barrier between them and the corpse. But not Mrs. Arnold. It seemed she was the only one who was prepared to do what had to be done. She stood on the top of the hill and looked as wild as the wind that danced through her hair. Have you ever heard of the Hand of Glory? Mrs. Arnold asked. Anna shook her head. According to the tradition, a Hand of Glory is a powerful talisman. It can make whomever the holder chooses fall into a deep sleep that they will never wake from. The hand which is cut from the body of a hanged murderer is preserved, and each finger turned into a candle. When all the candles are lit, that is when the deadly sleep descends. The woman in here, she kicked the trunk of the tree, rattling the old bones inside, was a murderer. Someone cut off her hand to make their talisman, and now she wants it back. She turned gravely towards Anna. Give me your hand, girl, she said. It is the only way. Anna turned to run, but the words were like a call to arms, and before she had even started down the hill, the other women dived onto her, pinning her to the ground spread-eagled. She writhed and twisted, but they overpowered her. Hold her still, for God's sake, Mrs. Arnold shouted, lifting the axe high above her head and swinging it down with a wet smack. Everything was dark. Anna could feel cold seeping into her bones. The same dankness from her vision of the well surrounded her. But there was a splinter of light in front of her, which she could only just see through. She watched her body laying perfectly still on the ground, as Mrs Arnold's army of women tentatively released their grip on her and pushed themselves away. Anna's disembodied hand lay just centimetres from her on the ground. The stump at the end of her arm was already being bandaged in fabric torn from Mrs Arnold's dress and tied with the string from her apron. She could hear fragments of whispers about needing to cauterise the wound lest she bleed to death there on the hillside. She watched them heave her body from the ground. Mrs Arnold patted her on the back 
as two of the women draped her limp arms around their shoulders and stumbled with her down the hill back towards the village. She looked on in silence until the hill swallowed them up and their voices were carried away on the wind. It wasn't Anna's hand she had wanted at all. It was her body. This story was written and read by Chloe Gorman, with music by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com. Moth Sanctuary.